Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth, it's life, it's eternal, it's powerful, it's spirit, joints, and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And our Lord, our God, your word is encouraging, it's instructive, and Lord, your word convicts. We thank you, Lord, that everything that was written in the past was written for our instruction so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Thank you that you are a God of hope. And Lord, that as we trust in you, you grant us peace and joy in you. We ask that you speak to our hearts today by your spirit through your word. In any way you choose, our Lord and our God, we ask that you'd help us. We know, Lord, that apart from you, we can do nothing. I know, Lord, that apart from you, I can do nothing. So I ask that you'd help me to declare your word clearly today and boldly, as I should. Lord, that when I speak, as your word said, I would do so as speaking the very words of God and that I would do it in the strength you provide. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you all for all of who you are. We pray your blessing in this in Jesus' name. Amen. The attributes of God. You're familiar with them. You've heard that God is holy. Isaiah declares in Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. It's the crowning attribute of God, in fact, the only one where it's repeated three times. Of course, we know of God's love. John the Apostle said that God is love. That we wouldn't know what love is except that God first loved us and gave himself for us. Nehemiah declares in Nehemiah chapter 9 that God is gracious and merciful. He gives us that which we don't deserve. That's his grace. And he doesn't give us what we do deserve. That's his mercy. God is also omniscient. He knows all. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. Psalm 63 says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. God is also omnipresent. Psalm 139 declares how there's nowhere we can hide from him. It doesn't matter where we go. God knows. Certainly Jonah learned that. And God is also, it says, it says in 1 Timothy, he's immortal. He's invisible. And he's the God only wise. God is also peaceful. The Bible says he's the prince of peace. He's joyful. He's patient. Who here is not thankful that God is patient? The Bible says that he's patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Patience is an attribute of God. And God is kind. Romans chapter 2 says that it's because his, of his kindness, his tolerance, his patience, That we come to repentance. It wasn't God's wrath or even his holiness that led us to repentance. It was his kindness. 
Isn't it true that when someone's kind, you're drawn to them? We're drawn to the Lord because of his kindness to us. And God is good. Aren't you thankful for his goodness? And he's good all the time. Psalm 107.1 says that we are to give thanks to the Lord because he is good. But there are also some other attributes that God has that we don't celebrate as much. He's a God of wrath. He is angry with sin every day, the Bible teaches us. And he's a jealous God. He wants our devotion to be complete and 100%. He doesn't want us to be divided between him and some other God that rules in our life. He wants our complete love and devotion. And God is sovereign. Daniel chapter 4 verse 25 says that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he pleases. God's sovereignty means that he's completely in control. And he's in control over that which is evil and that which is good. Over everything. Certainly, Job knew of God's sovereignty. But there's another attribute that we don't speak of much, yet it's very much of an attribute. It's God's gentleness. Have you ever thought of gentle as being an attribute of God? About 500 years before Christ, Zechariah prophesied, and as we already read this morning in Zechariah 9.9, he said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. What is gentleness? Gentleness speaks of humility and lowliness. In fact, the ESV that we read translates it humility. And it's descriptive, a descriptive attribute of Jesus. The prophet Zechariah declared that the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come humbly, gently on a donkey, and he brings salvation. Matthew 21, 1 through 11 that we just read, Matthew recounts Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. He sent two of his disciples into town. We don't know who they were. The Gospels don't tell us. Because he needed them to get a donkey and her foal that were there. And in his sovereignty, he knows everything, Jesus knew that the animals would be there and that the disciples would be questioned. And so he gave them the answer that they would give to the owners of the animals so that they would be loaned for Jesus to use them because he needed them. That's God's sovereignty in the person of Jesus Christ. And so what I want us to see today is this remarkable, yet little celebrated attribute of God. The gentleness of Jesus. Today, people are enamored with heroes, with superhuman powers displayed in grandiose ways. Think of the Marvel or DC comic characters that uh, became so popular way back, as far as I could tell, back to 1938, 1940, when Captain Marvel came into the comic book scene and is had a resurgence over, re, a resurgence over recent years. Superman, Wonder Woman, Captain America, Captain Marvel, and on and on they go. 
They could fly, they could jump, they could see through walls, they were strong, they delivered, they were powerful, they were strong, they were quick, they were attractive, good-looking, muscular. But Jesus, Jesus Christ, while full of attributes, fully God, yet fully man, his triumphal entry, as it's called, his coronation as king, he enters on a lowly beast of burden. Luke 19 tells us that Jesus, as he approached the city riding on a donkey, wept over the city because of sin and because of the destruction that would come upon Jerusalem. The people proclaimed him Messiah, but actually they expected and wanted a powerful deliverer one who would deliver them from Roman rule. They wanted a superhero, if you will, to save them and their nation, to save them. And Jesus did come to save them, just not really the way they thought he would. He came not on a war horse and in majesty, and he didn't come to rule from an ivory throne. He came as a sacrificial lamb to be put on a cross and suffer a heinous, cruel death shedding his blood for you and for me in a most despicable and humbling way. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 2, says this about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. It says that he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. And he was pierced for our transgressions. A little bit later it says in verse 7 that he was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. That's why Jesus came. To humbly take upon himself my sin, your sin. Truly the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Going back to Matthew chapter 21, I'd like to walk through some of the successive verses there beginning at verses 4 and 5 just briefly this morning. But I'm doing so that we might see the gentleness of Jesus. Verse 4 to 5 says this. It says that this took place, that is, him sending the disciples in to get the donkeys, took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus fulfilled Zechariah's prophecy 
And he fulfilled more than 300 other prophecies about himself perfectly and completely. And at the exact moment in time that God intended, he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of David, the Savior of the world. At the time, it's interesting, John's gospel, in fact, all four gospels give an account of the triumphal entry, as we call it. And in John's gospel, it says that the disciples didn't realize what they were doing. John makes note that it wasn't until after Jesus was glorified that it became clear to the disciples all of the things he had said and that they had been a part of fulfilling the prophecy. Hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? But when we're in the midst of things, we don't actually see it clearly for what it is. But how perfect that is. That Jesus fulfilled those prophecies and those around him didn't see it happening until they looked back on it. I think that's protection. Protection against people trying to make things happen in their own strength. It's divine. It's Jesus who is sovereign. Verses 6 through 8 says this in the passage. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. That is, sat on the cloaks, not on both donkeys at once. And a very large large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. It's significant here to note that the cloaks on the road were a sign of honor and submission to the Messiah. The branches, John tells us that they're palm branches, they were homage to King Jesus. And that word, Hosanna, that's declared in verse 9, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, to the son of David. That word means save now. We need it now. Save now. Hosanna. And to the son of David, that was a statement of faith and of hope that he was the promised one who came through the line of David, the Messiah, the Deliverer. And while limited in their understanding, there was an element of hope and faith at the level that they could experience. And it was a large crowd. There's several interesting things to note about this. The first is that whenever someone called Son of David have mercy, they were expressing faith that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Those who were blind on the side of the road or couldn't hear <laughs> or were lame, crippled, or some other malady, You'll often see in scripture that whenever it was declared, son of David, have mercy on me. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. And he healed him. And then the one who could see followed. That was a declaration of faith. The second thing is that there were crowds here. This wasn't just a small gathering of a few disciples. This was a multitude, one gospel writer says. A crowd, a large gathering that came and threw down their cloaks and declared Hosanna to the son of David. But ironically, in verse 10 of this passage, after they had just declared Hosanna in the highest in this multitude of crowds, verse 10 says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? 
And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. While Jesus is a prophet and he is from Nazareth, he is so much more. He is the creator. He is the giver and sustainer of life. He is the sovereign Lord, the sovereign of the universe. And he is the humble and gentle Savior shepherd that came to save you and me. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, and it's a very familiar passage. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are the words of Jesus. And while we often use that passage to encourage one another when we're just struggling with life, and it can be used that way in a secondary uh, meaning, what Jesus meant primarily in that passage is, come to me to receive salvation. That is why I have come, to forgive your sin, to wash you and cleanse you. And bring you into relationship with God the Father through faith in me. Jesus, the Son of God. Come to me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. The only true rest that we can experience in this life is the rest that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no true rest or peace apart from him. In 1873, Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached a sermon in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Newington in in England. It was called The Gentleness of Jesus. In fact, I borrowed his title. I thought it was good. But I want to give credit where it's due. And he based that sermon on Matthew 12, 20, which is a quote from Isaiah 42. And that verse says, a bruised reed he will not break. And he's speaking of the chosen one, the Messiah, the the one who was to come. That's who Isaiah was prophesying. And Matthew recounts this prophecy. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now much could be said about that passage and there much could be discussed about it. But this is clear. It speaks of Jesus, a humble and gentle chosen servant of God who is to bring salvation to you and me. And he does it with gentleness, with kindness, with love, with care and with compassion. I suppose once in a while you might hear that somebody came to faith in Christ because of God's wrath. But it's God's kindness, his gentleness, the humility of Jesus that brought him to a cross that saves us. Jesus didn't act or live the gospel out forcefully, ramming it down people's throats, so to speak, or hitting them over the head with it. He came gently. It's interesting to note that at the baptism of Jesus, he actually was in the background. And John had been baptizing many people And Jesus came, lastly, 
and said, baptize me also. He didn't push himself forward. He didn't ride in on a war horse. Zechariah speaks of that as well. He came in on a donkey. Gentleness speaks of humility. There's so much in scripture that speaks of gentleness. There's an awesome Old Testament illustration for us. such a true story from 1 Kings 19. You recall the prophet Elijah and the powerful deeds, for example, going up on the mountain and how he defeated the prophets of Baal. 400 of them. And after that glorious victory, Jezebel threatened his life and he runs away. Not before the 400, but before the one woman. She had quite a reputation, I'm sure. Her name is synonymous with wickedness. And Elijah ran. He was afraid. He was alone. He said, oh, Lord, it's enough. Take away my life. I'm the only one left. Oh, well, he wasn't the only one, but the Lord met him. They met him on the mountain. And the scripture says in 1 Kings 19, 11 to 12, it says that the Lord was not in the wind that came and swirled around him. He wasn't in the earthquake and he wasn't in the fire. But in a gentle whisper, and that gentle whisper to Elijah wooed him not to fear, not to be alone, to know that God was with him, to carry on the mission that God had called him to. I think there's a story there for you and for me that God gently calls you and me to carry on the mission that he has called us to. What is that mission? In a very broad way, it's living out the gospel of Jesus Christ before every man and woman, boy and girl. By our lives, for sure. But also by our words. Not our opinions, but the word of God, because that is how people come to salvation. There are many attributes of God. But gentleness is one that we all forget. And that's how Christ came, gentle and riding on a donkey. In humility and lowliness. Who's not attracted to gentleness? First Peter tells us that in verse chapter 3, verse 4, speaks of a woman with the unfading, unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Who's not attracted to a woman with a gentle and quiet spirit? Or Proverbs 15.1 that says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Who isn't more willing to listen to a man who's gentle in his words than one who comes in brazen pride and anger or loudness? No, gentleness is a powerful attribute in Jesus. And it's a communicable attribute that he calls us to share. One of the problems that we have in this life is that sometimes we aspire to acquire or be the attributes that are not communicable. We want to be omnipotent. We want to be sovereign. We think that it's about our kingdom. And those are things that really only belong to the Lord. It's about his kingdom. 
But there are communicable attributes of God like love and grace and mercy, gentleness and kindness that he calls us to reflect by God's grace and the spirit living through us to be an example to others. So as I've been personally challenged, I want to encourage and challenge you, if you will, that as you go from here today, as you go into this week, think first and foremost on our humble, gentle Savior, Jesus Christ, and how he entered. Interestingly, it's more likely that the triumphal entry this day that we celebrate on Sunday was actually happens tomorrow, Monday. Because in the Jewish calendar of reckoning, uh, it occurred four days before the Passover, which is Friday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday would be the four days before. He came in on that Monday. And it would also take into account that Wednesday was not a day of silence. We're going to gather here on Thursday. And then there's Good Friday. But Sunday is coming, right? So, as you go into this week, as I go into this week, let's think on our gentle Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're here today, young or old, and it's a question in your heart and mind whether you have eternal life, that you know Jesus in a personal way, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Call on the name of the Lord. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. That's Jesus' primary goal and purpose for us, is to be saved. And then for us, who know the Lord in a personal way, we are to reflect Him and imitate Christ, as it says in Ephesians 5.1. And part of imitating Him is living a life that is gentle and humble, kind and loving before others, before God, that he'd be glorified and honored in everything we do and say. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is gentle and humble of heart. Thank you that through faith in you, Lord Jesus, we can find rest for our souls. We love you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.